Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Father, we bow before you to thank you for your word and for another opportunity that you have made possible that I might stand before your people tonight. Oh God, I need your help. I need your power. Lord, I pray for wisdom and help me to communicate the message that will bring honor and glory to you. Lord, speak to my heart and the hearts of each one that's gathered this way. Help us, God, to be better husbands and better fathers and just better men, Lord, as we fulfill the place of responsibility that you've placed upon us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible, you know, is a very practical book. The Bible not only tells us about heaven and hell and about uh, salvation and how to be saved, but the Bible uh, tells us about life, uh, about uh, life day by day, the place of the husband, the place of the wife and the children. And uh, tonight we're going to deal primarily uh, with the man. Now the man is given a place of authority. Also with this authority comes a great responsibility and also a place of submission to God. You know, sometimes when we think of submission, we think of it in, in the case of the wife, but the husband also has a place of submission, and that submission is to be to God. And we see that here in these verses. In verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. So it is a place of authority. Uh, you know, everybody can't be chief. You've got to have some minions. And uh, uh, God has given uh, uh, authority to the man. And also, he gave responsibility. In chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible said, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, or to guard it. And you find that the devil comes while the man is away somewhere. I, uh, maybe he's not fulfilling his responsibility, and he's able to deceive the woman. But this was a responsibility that God put upon Adam. He did not tell this to Eve, but he gave the responsibility to the man to dress the garden and to keep it. And then in uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, uh, 16 and 17, the Bible said, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thy mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thy shalt not eat of it, for in the day 
that thou eatest thereof, thy shalt surely die. Now again, here is uh, the responsibility and the, the place of submission to God's authority. God said, Adam, don't eat of the tree. Now the devil comes along and adds to the word of God and said, you're not to touch it, but God didn't say anything about touching it. God said not to eat of it. And you know the story, Adam rebelled against God's authority in his life. You know, the number one problem of humanity is the problem of authority. The problem of somebody telling us what to do. But you know, there is authority in everybody's life. And that's the biggest thing that keeps folks from being saved is they don't want God running their life. They want to run it themselves. And so Adam rebelled against God along with his wife and disobeyed the command of God. Now in chapter 3, you have the sin in the garden there and how the devil deceives the woman. Timothy said the woman was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He went into it with his eyes open. And the curse of sin and death was brought upon the whole human race. Now I want you to look at Genesis 3 and verse 17. He talks about the woman, but again we're dealing primarily with the man tonight. In verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and in the dust shalt thou return. Now notice what he did. He said, Thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Instead of the voice of God, instead of listening to God, he listened to his wife, and the wife in turn had listened to the devil and uh, brought, of course, all the tragedy upon the human race. You know, I wonder sometimes, I believe Adam and Eve were saved. I believe they're with the Lord. And I wonder uh, the times, uh, you know, Adam lived, I believe it was 930 years, and in all those many years that he lived, I have often thought maybe of the regrets that he must have had when he realized the extent of his disobedience and his rebellion, of what it's cost the human race and the curse of God upon sin that it has brought. The Bible said in Romans 5:12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. He did not say by one woman, but he said, by one man. He did not say by two men, if you want to include Eve in that. He says, by one man, and I realize that Eve was taken out of man and they were both equally guilty. Uh, and, uh, but here, he said that sin entered the world. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, he said, for as in Adam, all die. And the seed of sin and death he is brought upon every human being, and he comes from the Father. 
Now, as we think about this and we see uh, God's original purpose and plan for man and how that man, of course, has rejected that and, and uh, therefore uh, has to experience the new birth, I don't believe that any man can be the kind of man that he ought to be unless he's born again. And that doesn't mean that they're not good men, good fathers and good husbands uh, that, uh, that are not born again. But I do not believe that anyone can fulfill all that they need to as a husband, as a father, without knowing Jesus Christ. That's impossible, as we'll see in just a little bit here. Now let's look at the place of responsibility, of authority, and submission in the home. And we may deal with some other things if we have time tonight. But we're dealing primarily and want to deal with the home. The Bible said about Abraham in Genesis 18 and verse 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Now God had a lot of confidence in Abraham. He said, I believe that Abraham is the right kind of man. Well, we know that... Uh, that he was up in years, you know, before Isaac was born. Uh, he was 100 and his wife was 90. And uh, you think of having a, having a baby uh, that old. <laughs> that's very unusual. You know, most babies are born when people are young, and I think that's a, that's a good idea. I think God knew what he was doing uh, when, he, uh, when he worked all that out. But anyway, Abraham, I believe, was the right kind of man. And then it says about Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, and in the last part of the verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I've said before, I used to read that, and I used to think of Joshua, and uh, you know, the little uh, boys and girls running around, but uh, if you read it in the context, Joshua's an old man. And, and it makes that statement even more amazing. Uh, here's a man that probably has grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, I don't know. But certainly his children no doubt are grown. And he says, we are going to serve God. And what a wonderful testimony that one can have uh, in, uh, at a time uh, like that. Now again, the, uh, the man's responsibility in the home is one of authority. You say, well, I'm the boss. <laughs> well, before you brag about that too much, along with that authority comes responsibility. God is going to hold you responsible, not your wife, but you. So when we think of it in that light, you know, it, it, it makes things a whole lot different, doesn't it? Uh, you know, most people like the place of authority, and along with that is, is, is a submission to the authority of God. No man has a right to exercise authority unless that man is submitted to Almighty God. And then and only then is he capable of exercising authority and being held accountable for his decisions. Now what is the uh, place of responsibility? That rests upon the, the, uh, the man in the home. First of all, it's a place of care, a place 
of responsibility to care or provide for the household. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now that's what God had to say about it. If you read that in the context, he's really talking about uh, the care of widows uh, by the church, and that uh, the first responsibility is upon children or even nephews uh, have a responsibility uh, toward those in need. And God is saying, if you will not submit to that responsibility, and God said that a person like that has denied the faith. They have denied the Word of God. They have rejected the teaching of the Word of God and is worse than a person that don't even believe in God. You know, it's a sad, sad testimony sometimes that the world cares more for their own than sometimes people that claim the name of Christ. And that ought to be that way, you know. God's people, the Lord said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. I don't think there's anything any sorrier than a daddy that won't take care of his own children. And yet that's happening by the tens of thousands in this country and uh, wives that are left behind and how the complete responsibility to have to work and provide for the children. Now, I cannot uh, comprehend that kind of human being. Uh, but there are plenty of them out there, aren't they? But God said a person has a responsibility. And certainly, I realize many are unsaved and don't understand the truth of the Bible. But uh, certainly, if a person names the name of Christ, by all means, they have a responsibility to care for their own. And they shouldn't have to be forced to do it. They ought to do it willingly. So uh, the, the, the husband has a place of uh, caring for the household. He has a, a place of uh, authority in the home, but with that comes a responsibility to care for his family. Then also it is a place, a responsibility of compassion. Of love, You know, when we think of love, a lot of times we identify with the wife or the mother. But you know, the Bible has uh, quite a bit to say about the husband's responsibility in this area. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, that's a command. A husband is commanded to love his wife. How much? As Christ loved the church. And how does he love us? He loves us with an everlasting love. As the song says, he loves me when I'm good and he loves me when I'm bad. He loves me. And I'm glad he does. And that's the way a husband is supposed to treat his wife. He's supposed to love regardless of the circumstances, not just be influenced by circumstances. And what is love? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It involves sacrifice. Love involves sacrifice. 
And we're pretty self-centered, you know, for the most part. Uh, you know, we don't want to sacrifice. But God says a husband is to love his wife. And then in uh, uh, Colossians 3 and verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And so again, he repeats the admonition. So the husband is, is in the place of authority, but exercise authority in love. That's what God says. I'll tell you one thing, I'm the boss. And you're going to, the preacher said, I'm the boss. Now you do what I say, you know. Well, I don't get the job done, does he? God says, do it in love and do it God's way. So is his compassion, compassion or love uh, for uh, the wife. And uh, who does God, when there's, uh, you know, I, in counseling with people over these many years, uh, usually have, having problems in their home, and I, this is kind of the situation almost always. The wife presents her side and the husband presents his side and it's all generally always opposite, different. And, uh, uh, you know, you begin to talk to them and now this is, your, what you, this is what God says you to do as a husband. This is what God says you're to do as a wife. And this is what I usually get. Well, I'll tell you one thing, you know, if she would do... If she would do so and so and so and so, then I, you know, I could do this. And the wife said, "Well, now if he be, if he'd do this and do that and do something else, then I'd, I'd do that." And you kind of get in a, a situation there, or where you really you don't solve the problem. Now the question is, who is to take the initiative when there's conflict between a man and his wife, and uh, who is to take the initiative? I believe the Bible teaches that it's the husband's responsibility to take the initiative and to love the wife in spite of her wrong. And I believe that when that love is shown, that it will cause the wife to respond and return that love. Isn't that what Christ did? The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. How did Christ love us? He loved us while we were yet sinners. And therefore, his love for us as a sinner brings us to Christ and we're saved and then we begin to love him in return. You want to know if your home is what it ought to be, your relationship is what it ought to be? If it portrays the relationship between Christ and his church, then it is in order and where it ought to be. If it does not do that, then there's a problem. So I believe the husband is the, has, is the one that's to take the initiative and love the wife even if she is unwilling at that moment to change her ways maybe. And of course in a Christian family it ought to be give on both sides. But if it comes to that place then the husband is the one that's to take the initiative. Then also the, the husband in the home it's a, it involves correction. Correction and teaching of the children. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, he says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
Now the word nurture means the training, the teaching. In the average Christian home, most of the Christian teaching and training is done by the wife. Now sometimes that's because the husband is, is away in the evenings or whatever, and in those cases, uh, especially during the week, there's not much opportunity. But I do not believe it exempts a man from the place of responsibility. But the average child receives most of spiritual instruction from the mother. But God says, your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That the father is held accountable and responsible for the teaching of the children. Now that does not mean that the wife does not have a place and all of it is to rest upon the husband. The wife as well uh, has a responsibility to teach the children. But the point I'm making is that the husband also has a place, a responsibility of the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the nurture, I think I told you nurture had to do with, with uh, teaching. Nurture uh, has to do with correction. And admonition has to do with the teaching. So uh, it's the discipline uh, is primarily the responsibility of the dad. Now in most cases, a woman does not have the temperament to administer the proper discipline. Now there are exceptions to that. I remember one time we had a parent uh, came in. It was the mother of a child uh, came in and administered the paddling to a student. This has been some years ago. And I thought I had, uh, I thought I had whipped uh, uh, pretty hard in times gone by. Uh, but I began to really feel sorry for that child. I thought she was going to kill him. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, that uh, she didn't have to come back in. That did correct the problem. <laughs> but uh, uh, as I say, they, they are exceptions. But generally speaking, generally speaking, the mother is too loving and too compassionate and too tender to give a child what they need. And that's why God placed it upon the father. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, my, I, I, don't, I was trying to remember if my mother ever whipped me. She probably did. But it must not have done too, too good because I don't remember it. Uh, but I do remember something my dad gave me. <laughs> and uh, the threat, wait till your dad gets home. That's about all it took. And uh, so... Uh, the, the, the father has, has a place of responsibility in the correction and the discipline and also the teaching, the admonition uh, of, of the child and to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Now, in, uh, in, in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, he said, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now that's the wonderful promise that God has made. And God said that we'll fulfill our responsibility. God said I'll, I'll fulfill my place of responsibility as well. In Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Now, how important is this? 
the qualification for a man being a bishop or a preacher or a deacon is this. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So uh, God places so much emphasis upon this that he says that a person is not qualified to be a preacher or uh, to be a pastor or to be a deacon in the church unless they have their family under control. And I think it uh, uh, goes without saying here that, that this speaks of uh, children that are still uh, under authority and still on the home. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. And of course that, uh, uh, that takes care of, uh, of women deacons and women preachers, may I say, that uh, I just heard on the news that the Church of England, I think, is, uh, had ordained their first woman uh, into, into their church. Well, that violates the Word of God. Uh, because God said here, uh, and he says about the preacher, and also says about the deacon here, be the husband of one wife. And uh, I don't think a woman could, could meet that qualification. Uh, okay, so uh, we, we, we've seen in the home, now let's carry it on over uh, in, into the church. And again, uh, it's these three things come into play, uh, authority, and responsibility and also submission to God. And, uh, you know, the Bible uh, talks about uh, here in Second Peter 1 and verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible was written by men. Now, there are some books that tell about women. For instance, the book of Ruth and the book of Esther, and women uh, are very important in the Bible, and of course they've been very important in history, and we'll deal with that uh, when we get to that other message. But uh, the Bible was written by men because this was the way God established. God saw fit to give His divine revelation to men. And then we find that uh, when Jesus chose His disciples, he chose 12 men, although women there followed him and, and were used of God, but they were not chosen as disciples. And then on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2 verse 4, the Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, but only the 12 disciples spoke in tongues. I heard someone the other day, he said if you took the women out of the tongues movement, it, it, it died dead in a hammer. And I agree with that. Now what does the Bible say? In verse 7 of that chapter, on all these which speak, Galileans, and in Acts 1 verse 11, the apostles are called men of Galilee. And verse 13, they said, these men are full of new wine. And in verse 14, Peter is standing up with the 11. On the day of Pentecost, the only one that spoke in tongues were men. And then, when there was a need for deacons in the church in Acts 6 and verse 3, 
Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So the first deacons, seven deacons there were men, and of course we've already seen they had to be the husbands of one wife. And then in the, the prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch were men. The missionaries that were sent out in Acts chapter 13 were men. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And we can see from all these scriptures that, uh, uh, that God expects the men to, uh, to be in the places of responsibility in the church. Now, women can teach children. The Bible, the Bible talks about that, and, and it talks about the aged women, older women, can teach younger women. And we have biblical permission to do that. But in an adult Sunday school class, a woman teaching an adult Sunday school class is out of place and violates the Scripture. Or teaching a mixed class would be out of place and would violate the Scripture. A woman deacon is violating the Scripture. A woman pastor or preacher is violating the Scripture. I remember uh, years ago, I was visiting this individual in the hospital and uh, who had cancer, and uh, she had this, this particular lady uh, had a relative who was uh, a woman preacher. And I would go visit, and sometimes when I would visit there, she would be there. And uh, uh, there was a tendency to, uh, you know, to get kind of, uh, I tried to avoid really the subject because I knew she wasn't going to change my mind, and I probably going to change her mind. And, uh, she, but she just kept on. One day she just kept, well, I'd like to know this exactly what you think about it. I said, well, uh, since you've asked, know that I'm called. Well, what she's saying is that, that uh, uh, you know, God would violate his own word to call her. God won't do that. I don't believe. Well, you, what do you think? I don't believe God would violate his word for me or anyone else. If God would violate one verse, if God would violate that scripture, then how could I trust God to keep the other scripture? God cannot and will not violate his word. And uh, so uh, a woman preacher is out of place in the church. Women can testify. Women can sing. Women can win souls. Women can teach children. Women can teach other women. Aged women, older women can teach younger women and should certainly be involved in the work of God. But uh, uh, otherwise, in these other areas, God says no. And the happiest place for a wife and for a mother is the place that God put them. That's the happiest place. And so uh, the man is responsible. Now, may I say this? That... Uh, 
if it wasn't for the women in most of the churches, a lot of churches would be in real trouble. And that's because the men are too sorry and lazy and good for nothing to fulfill their place of responsibility. And I believe men ought to be the leaders and ought to be in, in, in a place of responsibility and fulfill their place of responsibility. So, this is the place of responsibility in the church. Now, let me, uh, let me give you one other area, and that is in society. In society. What's the place of responsibility here? In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 and 2, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he goes on and makes a list of uh, tragic sins there. But all he had to do, perilous times shall come for men. And when men get sorry, your nation's in trouble. Brother Thomason read the scripture there this morning. You know, the children would rule over you. And uh, sometimes their, uh, their leaders, political leaders, sometimes they act like children, don't they, as far as real spiritual understanding, as we stated about in, in our Sunday school class this morning. And uh, they, they, they really don't have any real, uh, real knowledge. You know... Uh, You've heard about, uh, you've heard this saying of, of uh, people having uh, a good education but not any common sense. Say that person is really smart, but they don't have enough sense to get out of the ring. And what, what, what they're saying is that they, they have a degree and they're smart in, in, in what they've studied, but they don't have any common sense. And this is another way of saying they don't have any real wisdom and any real character in their life. Of course, that's been an issue in, in uh, some uh, political races is, is the issue of, of character and uh, where, where it ought to be, where it really ought to be a factor, where it ought to be a consideration. Well, it's the main consideration because a person's character is what they are. It's been said, you, uh, what is it, you... You teach, uh, you teach a little by what you say. You teach more by what you do. And you teach most by what you are. And character is what we are. And that determines what we do and what we say and the decisions that we make is all based on character. That's the most important issue. It ought to be in, in any decision, in whether it's a man as a pastor or a man as a president. It ought to be character. Do they have character? That ought to be the number one question. Some years ago, I, uh, you know, I asked this individual that was running for a particular office in, in this county, I said, what is your position on abortion? Their answer was, well, in the position that I'm seeking, that would never be an issue. That's not the question. It may not. 
But that's not the question. Because, and, and uh, I did not vote for that individual. And they probably were qualified otherwise. But that revealed character or lack of it. And a person's position on that issue is a revelation to me of whether they have character or not and whether I could trust them with other important decisions that affect my life. And what we desperately need in America is men with character. They used to call them statesmen. Instead of politicians, we need statesmen. Men of character. Men that believed in America and what America stood for and those that fought and died for our freedom and was willing to die themselves to keep us free. They would not sell us out. That's what we need. And we don't have that, I'm afraid, with many of our politicians. And we need men of character. It's the men's responsibility in society. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and on and on it goes. But it could all be summarized. The first thing God mentions, that they should be lovers of their own self. And that's the exact opposite of what God said, right? God said, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. A man that's leading a country or a county or a state or whatever place of responsibility that's responsible to make decisions that affect people's life is to be a man of character and a man that's willing to give himself. To give himself, not to for the money he can get out of it, the power and the prestige that they can get out of it. You know what's wrong with their government? It's, it's the opposite of what God said a man ought to be. I mean, it's you vote, you vote to, to, to spend this much money in my district and I'll vote to spend this much money in your district and on and on it goes and on and on and on and on it goes. And a lot of it is just waste and worthless. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And it all goes back to this truth. Men of character. Men that will do right. Because it's the right thing to do. And they don't have character. That's the real problem. And our country is in the shape it's in. Because men have failed. God needed a man. God needed someone to lead his people out of Egypt. He chose a man. A man that was totally committed to God. Forty years in the wilderness done that to Moses. He probably wasn't ready 40 years before that. And I don't guess the nation was ready. But after he spent 40 years in the backside of the desert, God humbled him and God prepared him got him ready and when he wanted a king he chose David a little shepherd boy 
a young fella. Isn't that amazing? Why didn't God go get a seasoned fella? David's father, Jesse, he made all of his sins, his sons passed before Samuel, and Samuel says God hadn't chosen none of them. They, they were likely, they were strong, healthy-looking fellows and looked like kings. Samuel, even himself, he thought, man, it's a king if I ever saw one. God sees not as man sees. God looks, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, it goes back to this character thing, this character issue. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Man looks on what he can get out. Man looks on a person's maybe training and, and education. God said, I'm not interested in that. I'm not looking at that. I'm interested in what's in his heart. Jesse, don't you have another son? Well, I have one. He's with the sheep. Bring him. And they brought him. And God said, that's the boy. He didn't look like a king. Jesse didn't, his own daddy didn't think he could, he never even brought him. Can you imagine those brothers, what they thought about it? No one believed he, was, he could be the king. But God said, that's the one. You know why God chose him? He was a man after God's own heart. He had character. He'd done right because it was in his heart to do right. I tell the kids at school, you all know if you have character or not? What do you do when the teacher's head's turned? You find out where you have character. I illustrate this way. I said if the teachers left the classroom and stayed gone all day, what would you do? Well, you can imagine. But you know, a person that has character would accept their responsibility, sit right there and continue their work and do the best they could without a teacher because they have character. That's what we need. We need men with character. And if we don't get that in kids when they're children... You know what happens? They grow up to be moms and dads without character. And they have another generation comes along and they don't have any character. And on and on it goes and that's where we're at as a nation. And we have men in high office who lack character. And we have women in high office that probably shouldn't be there. Although in some cases the women are better than the men as far as character. God needs men. Will you be that kind of man tonight? Will you say, by the help of God, I'll be the man God can use. God can count on me to be the right kind of father, the right kind of husband, and the right kind of citizen and leader in this country. God you can count on me. That's what we need, and that's what this country and our churches and our homes desperately need tonight. I hope you'll be that for God.
There's scripture I close in Ezekiel. The Lord said, I sought for a man among them. Stand in the hedge and fill up the gap that I should not destroy the land. And God said, I found none. Now that breaks my heart. When I think of that, God looking at the whole nation. God said, I just, all I needed was one man. And God said, I couldn't find anybody. It's totally, totally committed to God God could still give a revival God could still spare a nation from judgment if the men of this country would get on their knees before God and humble themselves before a holy God and say I'm going to do right if the world goes to hell I'm going to do right your children deserve it your church deserves it and your country deserves it. May God help us to be men that God can count on. Let's fire heads.